Hi everybody, you are listening to the Rogue Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. This podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk, and we strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to our episode zero on safety and consent in rope before attempting it. Find it at the top of our FedLife page, Rope Podcast. Fox is a wigger and Maya is a bottom, and we're rope partners who've been practicing together for over five years. We live in Bangkok and love to share our passion for rope with the wider community. Today's episode is the continuation of our interview with Adi. We recommend you listen to the first part before hearing this, so you have the whole context for the conversation. If you haven't had a chance yet, go ahead. It's the one just before this episode. Don't worry, we'll wait right here while you listen to it. And for those of you who have already heard the first half, let's dive right into the second part. Adi, we saw a writing from you about rope photographs and how they don't always tell the full story or even could be deceiving. Can you talk to us about that a bit? Uh, sure. Um, I, I think a lot of people find their way into rope via um, pictures on the internet, right? Um, and And one thing that I think is very important That, that I would like people to, to figure out quickly in their journey into this is that the stuff that is most easily visible, that is the fastest found on the internet, tends to be the stuff that sells, right? Um, porn sells, sex sells. Um, so the, the stuff that people tend to find when they first go looking is this sort of more extreme, um, more sort of straight porn aesthetic, um, often suspension, often very harsh looking, often a lot of nudity. Um, and that can be, I think, quite alienating for people. Um, the first time that you encounter a new situation, you, you tend to like imprint that this is how that is done. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and if those are the first impressions that people have, it can be very hard to look at that and go, I also get to do rope. Um, the, 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 the talk that you were alluding to was, um, a picture that we had taken where my shoulder gave out just a few seconds into this tie. And so we have this picture that is, I think, quite a nice piece of art that It's looks beautiful. very serene hanging out of this tree there in this beautiful bit of nature. And like, I was basically screaming, get me down right now. Yeah. Right. So it didn't, it didn't show what was actually going on. Um, and I would hate for somebody to look at that picture and go, gosh, I can't do that because like, I can't do it. It was my photo and I can't do it. Mm. Um, There's, there's other ways that I think like the picture history can be very deceiving, right? The, the erasure and removal of like your old rope photos from when you were first learning and your rope was really bad. Oh yes. Um, right. It, it, it erases this, this progress that people make. It gives the impression that people like spring fully formed into like the rope suspension world without having tied some really awful rope with, you know, things that they bought from. Rona or the Home Depot or whichever mm -hmm. other equipment there is around the world, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
there's a lot of mis- misrepresentation of who does rope, right? Of how it's done, of why it's done, of who belongs in rope. That all kind of ties back around to the links between like rope and porn. Mm-hmm. So I think relying on photography as a narrative of like what rope is, how it's practiced, where and by whom is, is, is very unfair to the vast majority of people who actually do the rope. I get, I get letters or messages, I guess on FetLife, not infrequently from people sort of saying, Hey, I want to do rope, but I don't really want to do, you know, the bendy sex stuff. Am I still allowed to? Right. Yeah, and we'd had the listeners' mail to that effect as well on the yeah. podcast. And yeah, you're a hundred percent allowed to. <laughs> so it gives um, this limited perspective, the the photographic narrative, as you say. So how can bottoms get past that narrative and investigate their their individual strengths? Hmm. There's there's so much variation to that. Ah. Okay. Again, this one is like, this is just, this is me. People don't have to follow the same path. Um, try to, try to find out what like moves you emotionally, what makes you, what makes you purr. Right. Um, and this isn't, this isn't the thing that you just figure out one day and it's like that for the rest of your life. Right. But in the same way that, you know, we spend hopefully our lives kind of trying to like, figure ourselves out and improve ourselves and and develop and blah, blah, blah. Right. I think we spend our rope lives figuring out what moves you, what impacts you emotionally. Right. Um, for some people, right. For, for some people it's the trust or the vulnerability or the eroticism or the sensuality or the visual art, right. Or the pain or the struggle, um, use, use comparisons, right? I use dance and music a lot as comparisons. I know a lot of people use martial arts as comparison, but figuring, figuring the things that impact you emotionally is, I think, a very important starting point to figuring out what is going to make you happy. And happy can have a very broad definition, right? Happy can be, you know, sobbing as long as you're happy that you oh, have yes. that experience, right? Um, because I'm trying to figure out how to put words around this thought. Um, rope turns out well, I think with, you know, a heavy asterisk and exceptions may apply, right? But I think rope turns out well when the people who are engaging with it have similar goals. So being able to figure what you want and what would make you happy in a way that you can also express that to somebody else sets you both up for success. Mm -hmm. And success sets you up to continue to be happy. Right. So it's a positive sur- circle or yeah. cycle sort of thing. Yeah. And like, I mean, a, a couple of other things on the side, right? Like I learned a lot about myself through self tying. Um, I found it 
easier to sit and experiment when I didn't feel like I was using anybody else's time. Um, and I don't feel like that when I'm tying people, but I feel like that when I'm getting tied and I know other people who say the same, right? It's this little self-deprecating thing that we do. But I, I learned a lot about what my, what my body likes and will settle into, um, and what it absolutely won't tolerate just, just by, by, by trying things. Um, I like a waist rope because it's better than a lot of the other things I've done to myself in self-tying. So comfort is relative, right? You give yourself a big enough range of relative and, and you figure out which things are relatively more comfortable and relatively more, I'm never going to do that again. Um, and the last thing I'd put in there, um, we, we sort of have a, a practice that we try to do at the end of, uh, especially suspension classes because suspension classes can be really like exhausting and emotionally heavy, but we ask people to turn to the person that they were working with and give them a compliment on something from the interaction that they just had, the tie that they just had, right? And and not some, not some like you've got a great ass or something like that. Not something, <laughs> that's something right? That is. Well, I do enjoy it when bottoms compliment my ass after sure. suspension. Sure, but that's not a thing that you did yeah. or yeah. chose. It's, it's not inherent to your personality, I right? Have, I have limited control over that. Although I do spend yeah. time in the gym doing <laughs> hip raises. So sure. In my case, I guess I have right? some control over it. Sure, but like. If you're, but that, that, that's not the, that's not a thing you gave to the scene, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you, if you give each other a compliment on something that you did or chose or a part of the interaction or a way that you made the other person feel valued or listened to, right? Those are important because when you just come out of something heavy, um, the opinion of the person that you were working with matters a lot. Mm -hmm. And also they'll tend to give a compliment that you wouldn't have thought of, of yourself. Right. A lot of the time I'll come out of something and go, Oh yeah. Like I, you know, I did well on, on, fuck, I don't want to, I don't want to We throw examples out there. It's people start, it, you, you risk telling people that this is a thing to live up to. And I, I don't like, I don't like putting examples, especially of things that are like struggle because then it turns into like the struggle Olympics. Mm -hmm. Um, or risks. Um, but like I'll, I'll sometimes I'll come out of something and be like, I was able to push down a panic and, and work through this thing that was scaring me. And I'm so happy about that because like I beat this thing that has been scaring me and Barkus will go, the way that you smiled at me was just the sweetest thing. And that's what sticks with me from the scene. I wouldn't have thought of it myself, but that's what stays. And then I feel good about the way that I can smile at people, right? It builds this repertoire of things that can make you, that, that you're proud of, of yourself. Mm -hmm. And what do you wish more people would know about rope bottoming? Ooh. <laughs> um, I have a lot of potential answers to this one, but I'm going to... We gonna, have I'm, the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'm going to preface this by saying that I am not in any way an expert in hypnosis. Okay. Um, I would not even say that, you know, I'm particularly well versed in it. I do know some, I do have some friends who practice it and we've compared notes. Okay. Uh, and I've had, you know, I've had them, them try it some on me as well. Um, but you know, not an expert that said, um, there is, there's a lot of similarity between sort of the the way that hypnosis works and the way that rope works 
um, when that rope is like an emotional or an impactful journey that people are going on together and not, you know, Hey, I'll tie this on your ankle and you tie this on my ankle so that we, and we'll like laugh and watch television at the same time. Right. Like a rope scene where people are emotionally invested. Mm-hmm. Um, with hypnosis, right. You kind of, how, however you do it sort of cycle down, cycle down, cycle down, cycle down until a person is in a, a very impressionable mentality. Okay. Right. And rope does something similar. There's like, there's a ritual, there's a progression. Um, the thing that I said I liked so much about floor work, right, is that, that progress of sort of cycling down, of relaxing, of releasing like control. Um, and with control, we release some of the self-protection barriers that I think we put up around like our self-esteem, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so when you're in that state, when you don't have that bit of critical thinking, self-protection sort of up and running, when you're very impressionable, the things that get put there stick. Mm-hmm. So the things that you feel, the things that you're told, the successes or the difficulties or the hits to one's self-esteem that happen in that state stay they can be very hard to dislodge. So when people are negotiating a rope scene, I don't think enough people realize that, okay, you're negotiating a physical interaction here, but the thing that you're playing with has the very strong potential to leave a long-lasting impression on somebody's image of themselves so if you're a person who is getting tied, have that as sort of part of your part of your thinking about this scene or about who you're going to interact with. Can you trust them um, with something that long lasting? And if you're the person tying, you have an intense responsibility to safeguard the long-term emotional well-being of the person that you're tying. This is one of the reasons that I, I, I have a very difficult time uh, with the type of shame that involves like putting somebody down. Okay. I'm not saying don't do it, right? I know there's some very good kink to be had around that. But if people use that without kind of understanding that you could be dropping a piece of shame into somebody's mind that will stay and that will affect them like for fucking years. Right. People need to understand that before they play with it. Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. We want to continue making this podcast for you for a long time. And to do that, we need your support. Please go to ropepodcast.com to buy rope video lessons from experts so we get a small commission on your purchase at no extra cost to you. In addition, a really great way to help us is donating on Patreon. A one-time amount or a monthly pledge that can be as little as the cost of your morning coffee makes a big difference to us. And you will gain cool perks like behind-the-scenes photos and the ability to vote on future podcast topics. 
go support us on ropepodcast.com because you love rope too. So to check my understanding, are you saying that people tend to take rope a bit lightly and don't really realize some of the potential consequences of it? I, I don't think that people take rope lightly. I think that they're very aware of the potential for physical injury. Okay. I just think that this that this similarity is not terribly universally understood. Um, I haven't really seen it explained anywhere, and it's if. It, You come in, you come into a rope scene trying to, and I, I kind of dislike the term negotiate because it sounds like I'm trying to get enough for me and you're trying to get enough for you mm -hmm. and we'll like be willing to give up, right? But that seems to be the word we're using, right? So, okay, fine, negotiate. You've come in to negotiate your scene and you're trying to negotiate things like, you know, your physical safety and how you want to feel afterwards, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think the majority of parties participating realize that they have this potential, like, to implant a landmine in somebody, yeah. right? So I just, I just don't think it's known. Hmm. Um, but I think it's, I, I think a lot of people end up getting affected by something like that, especially when they are very new because everything is new. Everything is overwhelming. The emotions are big. The experiences are big. The vulnerability is big. And if somebody unwittingly drops an idea in when somebody is that open to the idea, you know, the idea stays. I think there's um, an interesting piece around the rock bottom as well from, from my, this is my perspective here in terms of the boundaries they do and don't put up. So if I think about the way I do work with different people, um, I'm, I'm not the same. I consciously am not the same level of vulnerability as I might be with Fox, who's my long-term romantic partner as well as DS partner as well as work partner versus yeah. someone who I'm doing some play with you know once or, or irregularly so I wonder if with experience as a work button you learn okay here's where I'm completely open and here's where you know I'm just safeguarding myself to some degree and that's where it might affect new bottoms more what, what do you think about that I I, I think that that's probably I think that's probably fair. Um, you become like more used to it, but that said, ending up in a new situation makes it kind of hard to control for that again. Mm. So like, um, I've, I've talked with a few people about this, people who, um, went and like partnered with somebody and were tied for a class, but who don't do something like that regularly, who are in rope regularly. Right. Um, but then who, went in and like co-taught a class and found that they dropped so hard afterwards. Um, and we, you know, we've talked about it and kind of attributed it to when you're tying with somebody, you're kind of used to working with a certain amount of their attention. And when you're tying with somebody in front of a class, mm. it ends up kind of not being about you. And like the, the, the newness of that, can hit like a ton of bricks. Hmm. So I think new situations end up like opening some of that up. I mean, I guess, I mean, per personal example here, right? But one of the, f when I was very early in my rope career, 
um, in my rope practice, and this was well pre-Barkas era, um, I was tying with somebody who I, you know, I care for and, and trusted a lot, and we were having a fun little rope scene. And at one point, they said something about how I was making a really good O face. And that, that has stayed. That has stayed. And I think one of the reasons that I have difficulty, especially doing floor work with other people, is the self-consciousness around wondering whether I am putting out an expression that is not like what I'm looking for. Mm, like performing like, something or something like that? Uh, inviting. Mm. Um, I, another way that pictures are deceiving, and I, I thought about this earlier, but I, I failed to bring it up. I had a really hard time looking at photos the first time that, that Barkas and I like had a photographer take pictures while we were tying. The pictures didn't look like what I thought they felt like. Mm. Um, and the things in my mind that felt like delicate and gentle and safe and like that looking at them in photos, they came out, I don't know, more sexual in some cases, right? Things that had not seemed erotic to me looked more erotic in photo. Okay. So like the, the awareness of that, the, the, the difference between the things that one is feeling and the things that, um, are expressed outside. I think I got that the the fear of a disconnect kind of dropped mm. quite early on. And I've never quite shaken it. And, and I guess in that case, the eye of the photographer was also part of that because you can choose how to photograph a certain thing. And it's a bit like there was a third person entering the dynamic of that scene, whereas subjectively you'd lived it as a one-to-one -one with the person you were tying with, right? For sure. Um, also the eye of the viewer. Mm. Um, when Barkus and I are finished floor work scenes, we tend to cuddle up a lot. And I'm actually, I'm looking around the living room right now and, and we have, we have a lot of art up in the living room and, and, you know, various pictures from various sides. And there's like three different pictures where I'm basically all curled up in Barkus's lap. Mm. And to me, that feels like a sort of a, a happy, warm hug between two people. And yet I've seen other people look at those photos and I think based on sort of their personalities, their experiences, the things that they're looking for, have seen it in a very sort of like DSE kind of power imbalanced, me being contained by this sort of dominant personality type of person, right? So there's a, there's a lot to be said also for the person who is looking at the photo this happens in rope too, as the person tying, right? You put, you give away a lot of like what you are feeling and what you were looking for and who you are and how you are. You show a lot of that in tying, just as the person who's being tied shows a lot of like who they are and what they, what they want and, and stuff like this, right? Personalities come through both ways. Maybe that would be if we could add like a, a side question in here. What do I wish more people knew about rope topping? Mm -hmm. We can. It's, you cannot get away from sharing of yourself. You can't just observe the other person and give nothing away from yourself. It's, it's just not possible. Mm -hmm. Um, and becoming comfortable with that and knowing yourself well enough that you're comfortable with that is, uh, I don't want to go so far as to say necessary because I don't want to prescribe anybody, but I know many riggers who could use that advice though. 
Me too. (laughs) (laughs) They don't realize that they're doing it. So doing it comfortably and intentionally would be very helpful. Very much agree. Uh, Adi, (laughs) what would you say your strengths in rope are and how did you discover them? Um, Physical strengths wise, um, I mean, I, I figured a fair bit out through through self-tying and just repeat exposure, repeat exposure, repeat exposure. Um, I already mentioned it took a year to find a TK that worked for me, right? So um, just going back and experimenting and finding the balance of like giving myself permission to not be perfect at something and at the same time refusing to say that well, I didn't get it right the first time, so I'm going to give up on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wouldn't say that I found the balance so much as I like oscillated from side to side on whether I was behaving healthily towards it or not. But either way, it's kind of worked out. Um, other than that, though, um, I'm pretty. I'm light on my feet. I'm, I move without too much effort. For the types of rope that that Barkus and I do, that's an asset. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm pretty emotionally blunt with myself. So, um, you know, I'm not going to say that I never have big, weird, emotional things happen, right? I've already mentioned panic attacks, and sometimes I just get my a bee in my bonnet about something, and I end up like reacting big to things. But I always sort of afterwards make myself sit down and figure out what that was mm-hmm. so i i try to do an to make an ongoing effort to figure out how i work in a way that i am able to express to somebody else that's I don't a very know very strong message i think yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so bearing all of the conversation we've had in mind, which is um, quite wide ranging, and <laughs> all the individual differences involved. So, I've heard you a lot um, in the session talk about not prescribing, and and that's fine. We're interviewing you, so we're in, we're interested in your perspective. Like that that is <laughs> that is authentic and real in this um, situation. What do you feel makes good rope? Hoy. I'm having a bit of a side laugh here because it's the, the first time I ever traveled with Barkus. Apologies for the apologies for the little sidetrack here, but the first time I ever traveled to teach with Barkus, um, we taught this place. Everybody went out for lunch together, and I suddenly found myself surrounded by like a gang of eight or ten people who were the folks getting tied in those classes, who just all of a sudden started like bombarding me with questions about like, you know how does this work? And like, tell us about your history and what do you think of this and that and the other thing. And, and like very definitely genuinely listening to the things I had to say. Um, and it was, it was a rather big switch all for sort of arriving with a certain person in a certain capacity. So I still find it, I, I found it, I found it, very bizarre that anybody would take my opinions that seriously. And I still, I still do. 
Um, <laughs> so that's, that's my little sidetrack there. Um, what makes good rope? Um, the real fast answer, the surefire way of having like the bestest rope that has ever happened, honestly, is, is NRE, uh, new relationship energy. Anytime somebody wanders into one of our workshops and they are new to rope or like new to a relationship with that partner, they have a blast. Um, and it's wonderful to watch. Um, we joke that they could be poking each other with like a stick and they still have <laughs> the same have, outcome. Right? Yeah. The um, beautiful suffering of the stick poking. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's our t alternative spoon theories. Like you can pitch spoons at each other all day and you'd be happy. Um, and it's, it's wonderful. Um, but it doesn't last, right? NRE does not last. And I think maybe this is another little cautionary tale is I think a lot of people expect it to. Um, so I guess the, the almost throwaway answer on that is like NRE, um, definitely makes for good rope. Um, but the, maybe the better answer, the fuller answer would be that I think there's kind of two ish ways that people pursue rope, right? One of which is kind of pursuing the individual experience. I don't care who ties me. I want to feel this thing. Okay. It's not about the other person, right? It's about like having this thing or being put through this experience or like, you know, having this intensity of something and whoever can give me that great. Um, and the other way is, the pursuit of like the interaction and I don't care what the rope is. I just want to like feel, I guess, loose definition of happy. And in that case, I think that who it is matters a lot. So in the first case, if we're looking for the experience and it's less about who is giving that experience, then I, I think that the person who is tying, actually, I, like both people, definitely, um, but this might apply a little bit more to the person who is tying. They basically need to know what they're doing, right? They need to know what they're doing well enough that they are working below their maximum skill level, because working at your maximum skill level, you don't really have any extra, like, capacity left to deal with unexpected and there's always unexpected right so whatever it is they're doing they need to be able to do it fairly easily and they need to have good enough judgment that they don't screw up most of the time um you know and if you're playing close to an edge and you're playing with somebody you don't particularly know very well then there's always that chance of screw up and that's where like the the knowing what they're doing for the person in rope kind of comes into play right um is knowing knowing what you want well enough to be able to say it um, and knowing how your body works well enough to set yourself up to hopefully not fall over that edge. I, it's not something that I would say is as friendly to newer people. Um, and if you're going for the more personal approach and that's, that that's the, the, the more like about the person approach is, is, is the type of rope that I end up doing. Um, I can't, I can't, do the other type of rope it it makes me guarded in a way that's not constructive okay but for the more personal type i think 
like, I don't know, care and honesty and like goodwill and humility are kind of, that in and of itself isn't necessarily good rope, but I think that it's really hard to have that type of rope without having those qualities in the scene. So, yeah, does that, does that, I don't know, make sense? Does Absolutely. that hold together? <laughs> Absolutely. I think that was a very good answer to the question, Eddie. Uh, Eddie, <laughs> what do you see as the next steps in your rope journey? Um, I want to look at teaching teaching. Oh, interesting. So I want to look at what makes good education and what sets people up to be good educators and like the, the, the community structures in place. I've got a, I've had a thing for a while about like building like better community. Um, and I, I, again, community with a huge asterisk on that word, because I don't think it actually applies. Um, Barkas has suggested the word field as people with a shared interest rather than mm. community where people are beholden to each other. Cause like it's not, um, but I, I think, um, it becoming an adept teacher takes practice. Absolutely. Right. Like you learn so much about how something works by having to explain it to somebody else. And people ask questions that you never would have thought of, which means you have to, you know, be able to explain things in a different way. And that's, that's just, that's just like the technical pieces, right? Like how to structure a class, um, how to play to the level of the class. There's, there's so much about teaching that is not that is that you just have to have done enough times to get a sense for it. And I was super lucky because I got to basically ride shotgun on Barkus's classes for however long it took. And I had this background teaching ESL. So I kind of had, you know, how to do, how to do exercises um, already kind of ingrained in me, but I got to, I got to, you know, I got to ride shotgun on so many of these classes um, where I wasn't the teacher, but I got to do teaching. So I got to figure out, how I taught, how it worked for me, um, how long it takes people to do exercises. Um, and that, that meant that I kind of got through those awkward first stages of figuring out how to teach without having to actually be terribly awkward in front of other people. And most people don't have that opportunity. So there's a lot of teachers out there. There's a huge demand for teachers, both because there's a lot of turnover in the rope world for reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because the rope world is growing, right? So there's a demand for teachers and to be perfectly blunt, a lot of them are not very good. And that's not because they're not good people. It's not because they're not well-intentioned. It's not because they're not good at rope, right? It's because teaching in and of itself is a skill to learn. Um, and a couple of other things that like tie into that, right? There's this, this constant kind of need to be more impressive. You did this class, right? So now the next class has to top it. Right. That, that sort of ever present need to like grow quicker than one can actually grow one's personality in rope. Um, I talked earlier about like knowing something well enough that it becomes yours. I think you kind of have to do that to be able to teach it effectively. And right, right now the rope world isn't set up to give people the space and the time to become good teachers. 
And the place where I think that this does the most harm is looking at like the growth of diversity in rope and in rope teaching. Um, I've been to a lot of conferences and a lot of like rope gatherings and, and stuff in many different corners of the world at this point. And like the, the organizing and teaching of rope is an area that is still very much dominated by white men. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the cishet white male kind of thing. And like I've been back in the day, I've been the only woman tying in a class full of men. And when you're different and you stand out, you kind of, you have less room for error, right? Or all of the little inconsistencies and mistakes get noticed. So being, being a person tying and especially being a person teaching who is not a cishet white man kind of means you've got to be better right off the start to hold your own. And that is incredibly unfair, right? I think that the rope world in general is a much, much, much better place the more diversity there is in like in teaching, in practice, in representation, right? Um, and not just because everybody deserves to be able to do this, but because like the addition of perspectives um, broadens the field that we are all engaged in. So I would I would like to look at how how to sort of boil down becoming a good rope teacher so that hopefully people can kind of avoid having to do the awkward learning how to teach in a public space right so that they can avoid some of the awkwardness of that those initial few teaching experiences especially so that so that all of those wonderful and interesting people who are adding so much to the rope community um so that they don't kind of get pushed back as much as well I think in the rope community, um, and in many fields, honestly, um, people don't understand that teaching is a profession in and of itself. And they think that showing someone how they tie is the same as being able to teach. And those are two very different things. Like if I show a tie versus if I teach a tie, that's that's not the same same thing at all. It's about um, how learns, right? Yeah. Finding how somebody learns. Exactly, exactly. Showing in a way that they will be able to get it. Yeah, yeah. And so much more. Like, there's so much more in terms of teaching as a profession. Um, Addy, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I think um, you. that you've shown uh, – uh, you're, you're so articulate around <laughs> talking about um, the emotional side of work, which I think is very unusual to be able to actually <laughs> express – some of the deeper things that people feel. Um, I found the power of your comparisons and metaphors, so talking about nursing, hypnosis, um, jazz, dance, like all of these bring <laughs> new perspectives. Um, and I also thought it was super fascinating to hear 
the way that rope intertwines with the rest of your life, so that two-way interaction, rope both influencing the rest of your life and how the rest of your life influences rope, um, was really interesting as well. So well, thank, thank you, you so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. This was, this is the, you, you made me think a lot. <laughs> so and I'm thank sure you. our dear listeners will also think about listening to your answers, Eddie. Thank you. <laughs> Where can our listeners find you on the internet? Um, well, I'm I'm very rarely on FetLife these days, but um, I'm I'm findable on Instagram pretty easily um, at Adital, so A D D I E T A H L, and that's also my email address, Adital at gmail.com. If people need to write me about something, I'm um, as as you have seen by now, not always the fastest of pen pals, but I do get there eventually. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I guess I'm on Facebook too, but also kind of not, not that often. All right. Thank you so much, Eddie, and that will be all from us today at the Rope Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from, and come find us on our FetLife page, uh, Rope Podcast, or also Instagram, Rope Podcast. If you have a question related to Rope, we'd love to answer it in one of our future episodes. Drop us a message on FetLife or Instagram. And if you like this podcast and would enjoy more episodes, find all the ways to support us on our website, rockpodcast.com. In particular, please consider supporting us directly on our Patreon page. Thanks for listening. And have fun tying.